Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. The first church that the messenger would have gotten to would have been the church at Ephesus. So let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And here's what I want to do. Can y'all, can y'all, can, we haven't read out loud since COVID. Are y'all safe with reading out loud? Because it, it says the person who, who reads this aloud, it will be blessed. So, so I want us to be blessed. So let's, let's read this aloud. First time reading together out loud since COVID. Praise the Lord. Y'all ready? Some of y'all scared. Y'all ready? Let's rock and roll. One, two, three, Read. I can't hear you. Read it loud. Let's, let's pray. Woo, y'all, stroke boys. All right. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to just come in your presence and be together. We thank you, God, that we can study a word. And Lord, we just, we just pray that you would be pleased with our worship today. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us, God, in a way that you haven't spoken to us before. Um, I pray, Lord, that that through our study of this particular passage, that you would infuse uh, a a good measure of spiritual health into our church. Um, God, let us keep the main thing the main thing. And Lord, I pray that this sermon would be a message about you, that we would see you in a new light, in a new way, that we would have a greater appreciation for you and also a greater appreciation for the church. And so, Father, I, I pray for the unbelieving who may be here today, God, I pray that they would that, that through the Holy Spirit, you convict their heart and that they will be compelled to follow you, that they would trust you for their salvation. For the believer that's struggling, God, I pray that you would strengthen them. For, for, the, for the believer who is a ministry worker who is struggling, I pray you would strengthen them, Lord. And so, Father, I just thank you for your people today, God. I, I, I thank you for your presence, God. We, we, don't, we don't take it for granted that we can worship freely. And so, Father, I just thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do. And we, we pray and bless your holy name. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. People of God said amen. Because you did a good job reading, you can be seated. From the sermon series, Taking Back the Church. Taking Back the Church, my sermon title for today's message is Don't Wait. Don't Wait on a Feeling. Don't, Don't Wait on a Feeling. I want to tell you a story that was recently published in 
on CNN.com, story of two people who fell in love at first sight. The article tells a story of Tom Latkovic and Kim Latkovic, who met in 1998, shortly after they graduated college. These two uh, college graduates, separately, who did not know each other, took a trip to Europe with their friends. And they found themselves in, in Munich. And when they got off of the train, uh, Tom spotted what he thought was a strikingly beautiful woman. And he thought at that moment, I must find a way to say something to her. It was somewhat love at first sight. Unbeknownst to him, he was not the first to see the other. She actually saw him first and thought he was a really good looking guy and she wanted to talk to him too. And so he didn't know what to say and so he didn't say anything but they found themselves in the same place and she sparked up a conversation. Well, lo and behold, they, they hit it off and sparks were flying and um, you, you may have done this before, maybe if a friend has tried to hook you up and it's for y'all and two of them are like feeling each other and then two of them are like, I, don't, I can't wait for this to be over. So they are having this experience because their two friends are not feeling each other, but, but Tom and Kim are really hitting it off. They find themselves at a, uh, at a restaurant of sorts and they talk for hours and talk for hours. And so they are in love already, love at first sight. The problem is back in these days, uh, technology wasn't as readily available as it is now. So there was no exchanging of numbers. They didn't even get each other's last name. And so when they parted, Tom thought, I blew it. I fell in love with this woman, but I have no way to get in contact with her. I didn't even tell her my last name. And I don't know her last name, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, he wasn't the only one that was feeling this way. Kim also was feeling the same thing that, man, we didn't exchange enough information. And so she knew where, they, where he was staying, and, and, and they were actually staying in the same place. And so she wanted to go. She thought, maybe I should go and knock on his room door and say something. But she just couldn't get the nerve to knock on this man's door. I mean, they had just met the night before. She thought, as a woman, that's a little bit too forward to go knock on a man's door that I just met. Remember, this is 1998. This is not 2023. 2023 will be okay, unfortunately. Tom has overslept. He was supposed to leave earlier, but he's overslept. And, and her friend has convinced her, no, you should knock on the door. Just, it's okay, knock on the door. But she just couldn't pull herself enough to do it. He wakes up and all he can think about is, I did not get her number. I did not get her information. I, I fell in love. I, I got to find this woman again. And so what does he do? He says, you know what? I think I think I know where people are going to be meeting. And so we're going to go to the center part of the city where there's a lot of activity and people are out and about and doing stuff. And so he he goes to the middle of the city. He, he goes to the middle of Munich and, and he's out in the middle. And there's a lot going on. And there's street performers right there with large crowds gathered around. And he says, everybody's here. And, and my prayer, my hope is that she's in the crowd so I got to do something drastic. Now, now I don't want to do this. I, don't, I typically don't volunteer to help a street performer because this street performer in particular was wanting some volunteers to hold two swords while he did a trick with swords. I don't know about you. I'm never signing up to help anybody do anything with a sword. 
So he says, I don't normally, I, I would never do this on a regular occasion. I, I don't even feel that this is who I am. But because I fell in love at first sight, I can't wait on a feeling. So he goes and he helps the street performer and he drags his friend along with him and they give the swords. And so everybody sees Tom and Tom is just helping, hoping that this girl Kim is out in the crowd. And when the when the, the, the performance is over, lo and behold, who taps him on the shoulder? It's Kim. His plan worked. He did something drastic. And because he didn't wait on a feeling the article is about 24 years later how they are happily married and have this family. All because he did something that he normally wouldn't do. He could have just left and abandoned what was his first love, but he didn't wait on a feeling. It's the same message just being conveyed here in Revelation chapter 2. In Ephesus, Ephesus is this large metropolis in Asia Minor, a large, busy bustling city everybody's there it's got a major trade port and a flourishing marketplace and people are coming to Ephesus uh, to do business it's, it's sort of like a modern day New York it's an important place with a lot of people there it, it just wasn't a business center it was also a religious hub it, uh, the, the main view of the city of Ephesus was this 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 tower, this big, large temple to a goddess by the name of Artemis, which was more like a fertility hunting slash uh, sexual goddess where people of all kinds of faith will come and worship at this temple. Wh wherever you were in Ephesus, you can see the temple of Artemis in the city. And so people were, were all about pagan idolatry. It was actually uncommon for a person to worship just one God. And so everybody in Ephesus came to do business, but everybody also worshiped. And, and so in this major city where people are, are, are hustling and doing everything they can to make it, they also worshiping these pagan idols. It, it was actually the norm. And, and in the midst of this city, with roughly 200,000 people, you have a few house churches of Christians that are scattered throughout Ephesus who are trying to live out their faith and serve God in the midst of all of this temptation and persecution that comes along with being a Christian. And so this, this is a letter, a, a word from Christ to the church that, that, that they should just hang in there. It, it will be worth it that, that if you feel like it is hard being a Christian, it is hard. To, sometimes I'm embarrassed to tell people that I go to church on a regular basis. Sometimes I tell people that I'm in church every Sunday and they look at me like I'm crazy. They look at me like I'm crazy when I say I am a Christian, but, but I don't proclaim to be this spiritual person who just does religion the way I want to do it. No, no. When I tell people I am a follower of Jesus, they look at me and say, really? Why? You still believe that stuff? You actually go to church? You hang out with those hypocrites? If you feel that way, I want to tell you something that, that Jesus wants to encourage you today. He wants to encourage you and let you know that you can't have him without having the church. They, 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 they are together. It would be almost like to say, I want Jesus, but I don't want to do anything with the church. It would be like telling a man, I rock with you. I can't stand your wife, though. No man worth his salt would tolerate that. And this is the perspective we must have as believers who, 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 are, who are the church. 
And so the first thing that happens in the text is that he says, right, here's what Jesus says to him, right to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So let me clarify something for you. If you are a note taker, this this is your part of the sermon. The seven stars are are the angels of the churches. If we kind of do the language on the on, on, on angels, it really means messengers. So there's one school of thought that believes that the angels, the, 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 the stars or the angels are actually the pastors of the church, right? But then there are some that believe these are angelic beings, like, like every church has somewhat of a, a guardian angel that has been assigned to the church, right? And so, so whatever you believe, Jesus says, I hold the seven stars in my right hand. I have an unshakable grip on these angels or I have an unshakable grip on these leaders, these pastors in the church. They, they are not left to fend for themselves. I am in control of my church at all times. And then it says he walks among the seven golden lampstands. The golden lampstands are simply the churches because they're supposed to shine the light of Christ. And so you have the, the seven stars and you have the seven golden lampstands. The lampstands are the churches and the stars are either the angels or the pastors of the church. And here's what he says. I walk among the seven golden lampstands. And here's the first point I want to make. Jesus is present when we meet in the church. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. And, and sometimes we shake our head at the church and say, man, if Jesus was here, he'd be so disappointed in what's going on at the church. Well, I got good news for you. He is here. He sees everything that happens in the church, whether it's good or bad. He, he knows everything that happens. He's also attentive to the type of worship that we offer him when we get here. That, that he, can, he can see the posture of our hearts when we meet. He knows whether we are joyful. He knows whether we're weary. He knows when, we tire, when we're tired. He knows everything about the hard circumstances that comes along with being a part of the church or part of the body of Christ. He knows our successes. He knows our failures. He has an intimate knowledge of the condition of his church, whether that's good or that's bad. So I want to say this. If you've been working hard in a church, you've been in church your whole life, no matter what people say about the church you remain a committed member even if it gets hard sometimes if you serve in the church and you've been serving since you've been born you've been ushering you've been singing you've been preaching you've been serving you've been doing announcements you've been running screens you've been running a camera you've been doing security you've been doing all of those things in the moment when you get tired and you want to give up just know that Jesus is aware of everything that you're doing that, that, that he is aware of your effort. He is aware when you're working hard for the body of Christ. He's aware when you feel unappreciated and nobody says thank you. He's aware when you have to pick up the slack of other people. He is always alert and aware of where we are in our service to him. That's good news. So, so, so if you've been waiting for the pastor to come and pat you on your back for your hard work, that's okay. But I got better news for you. Jesus is proud of what you're doing. Ultimately, you don't want to hear the pastor say, well done, that good and faithful servant. You want to hear those words roll off the lips of Jesus. And so here's what he does. He does five things in this letter to every church that we'll read except for two of them. Five things happens. He gives a commendation what they're doing good. He gives a condemnation what they're doing not so good. He challenges them. Fourth, he makes a promise to them. And five, he invites them. So five things. Number one, a commendation, what they're doing good. Number two, condemnation, what they're not getting right that they need to change. 
Thirdly, he challenges them. Fourthly, there's a promise that he makes to the churches. And fifth, he invites them into life with him. So here's the first commendation. Here's what he says, and this is good. This is good. I, 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 I actually love the church at Ephesus. Here's what he says. He says, I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. The first thing that he commends them to is that they work really hard as Christians. They, they, they labor. They, they, they work extremely hard. This is not a lazy church. They go above and beyond the call of duty to serve people and serve one another. They, they, they are committed to serving people. They're committed to growing in their faith. They, they're committed to live, living on mission where they live, learn, work, and play shameless plug to the vision of our church. They, they work extremely hard as a church. They, they, they work sometimes to the point of fatigue. They, they go over and above what they are expected to give as believers. They work hard at evangelism and spreading the gospel and serving the community and serving each other. They understand the call to be engaged and committed to the body of Christ. They understood this one thing, that church isn't a place to go and attend and listen to a live performance and then hear a speech about God. No, they know that it is a place where people gather together with God to offer themselves in worship in response to what God has already done for them. They realize that church is not a call for them to spectate, but it's a call for them to participate. So I want to say this to you today. I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't say this. God didn't just call you to come and watch all the people who do all the hard work. In every church, in every church in the world or every church in America, at least, there are always a remnant of people who are the first to show up and the last to leave. And here's what I'm saying. Don't be comfortable watching them do that while you take advantage of the amenities. That's not a, that, that's not a shot at you. But that is to say that God didn't just call some professional Christians to do all the work and everybody else gets to watch the professional Christians. This is not a concert. You don't pay entrance. This is not uh, Beyonce's European tour. This, this is the body of Christ and we all play a role. We all should be beating down the door. We should all be trying to figure out how can I serve the body of Christ because Jesus didn't call me and save me so that I can become spiritually lazy. He called me, equipped me, gift me so that I can use this gift to serve somebody else. They get that in this church. I want to read a quote to you from an author by the name of Soon Chan Ra. And here's what he says. He says this, how easy is it for an American Christian to approach finding the right church the way we approach buying cereal at the supermarket? We're looking for all the right ingredients and rejecting churches because they don't have a style of worship, a style of preaching or types of people. We're purchasing a product rather than committing to the body of Christ. Brett McCracken goes on to say in his book, Uncomfortable. He says this, a healthy relationship with the local church is like a healthy marriage. It only works when grounded in selfless commitment and a non-consumerist covenant. I just put it to you like this. 
Commitment matters more than your compatibility. And so people often complain about the church without ever having to commit to it. And we live in a day and age where it's like we have all these options, right? We, poor pastors all over the world, if, if you're not the greatest communicator, I feel bad because people can readily go to whoever their favorite is. There was a time and a day where maybe one or two preachers came on TV and that was it. That was it. So you know who your favorite preacher was? The preacher at your local church that you went to. But now we, we, we have so many options. We, we can literally see what's going on at a church in Nebraska and be committed to that and drive by the church right there in our community that needs our help. And the church at Ephesus understands that, that that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to commit to the body of Christ. Well, I don't like the music that they play. So what? I don't like the way the preacher preaches. He preaches too long. That's all right. I, I don't like the people. They're, those are not my type of people. I prefer the sophisticated and educated in the erudite of society. Those are the type of people I want to go to church with. So what? How will you ever grow if you don't commit to something that's not just like you? So they get this. They're committed to the work. They're, they're, I want to encourage you today. If, if you are saved and you've been sitting on the sideline, God didn't call you to sit on the sideline. God called you to use your gifts for the body of Christ. The second thing that they did was that they stood for the truth. He, he commends them. He says, you, you can't stand evil people. And you saw those people who were false apostles who came in preaching that false doctrine. And, and you, you didn't want to have anything to do with them. You called them liars. You didn't, you didn't appreciate people going around preaching a false gospel. The way Paul says it, Paul says any other gospel than the one that Christ has given us is another gospel all entirely. It is, a, it is no gospel at all. And so in, in this context in Ephesus, I told you that there was a lot of pagan idolatry going around. And so there were all kinds of preachers and people talking about they spoke for God. And, and so th there was just preachers talking all kinds of crazy stuff. And so th they were so, so committed to the truth that they rejected false teachers when false teachers would try to come in and spew a false doctrine. Here's what I want you to know. We, we live in a culture today, same thing on the social media tip, where you can see a thousand different pastors in a two hour sitting on social media. We live in an age of just clips, just sermon clips, no context whatsoever, just clips. And I see Christians sharing stuff all the time, sermons, and I'm like, that couldn't be further from the truth of what's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is one of the most unbiblical things that I've ever heard, but because it's such, so catchy, People share it. Here's what I want you to do, church. Be so familiar with the truth that spotting the lie is easy. The reason why we can't spot counterfeits is because we have no relationship with the truth. So we project all kinds of expectations on Jesus that he never said in his word, and we don't know that because we never read what he said. That wasn't a problem here. They stood for the truth. No matter what. They, 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 didn't, they, didn't, they didn't want what was sexy. They wanted what was right. 
we got to be people that are committed to the word of God. We got to be people who are committed to to studying the Bible. It, 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 it is God's lifeline to us. It is a means of grace that this is how we grow in the faith. If we don't, we'll just be left to. I think God is saying this to me. But what I'm telling you is in his word, God helps us to take out the guesswork. He gives us direction for our lives. You know how many times I hear Christians say, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. Do you know how many times in the New Testament Paul says, this is God's will for your life. And then he tells them what God's will is. And we, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what his will is. He keeps saying it. Just pick up, pick a book in the New Testament. And God reveals his will. But we're so spiritually lazy that we would rather walk around aimless and miserable than do the work of growing in our faith by reading the Bible. They, 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 they stood for truth. But here's what he says. Because you rejected the idolatry, because you rejected the paganism in the culture, you've persevered. You've endured hardship for the sake of my name. And, and guess what? You, you haven't grown weary. The third thing he commends them for is their endurance. Like, like they, they, they have endured hardship. They, they've had some hard stuff to deal with in their personal life and as li life as a Christian. And so, so I, want, I want you to know something about this word uh, endurance here. It's a word that is also associated with hope. It is to say that we're not enduring just to endure but we're enduring with an expectation that at one point, at some point, it's going to change. And, and so there, there, there is enduring just to endure is a miserable existence. If you are a Christian and you just, I'm just, I'm just trying to just walk this Christian life. I'm just trying to just hold on and keep on holding on to my faith. Man, I'm, I don't know. The world look real good right now. I don't know. I've been waiting on Jesus for a while. I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying Bible. I'm in life groups and I serve at my church and I'm in I'm in a community and I pray and I'm at night of prayer and I even got in financial peace university. Get my finances together. But God still hadn't sent a spouse to me. And I'm tired of being lonely. And man, it looked real good because they out there doing whatever they want to do. And they look so happy. I look at their Instagram. They're in Greece. The only grease I got is the grease in my kitchen. <laughs> They're at the ocean. Only water near me is the community pool where I live at. They don't even have sand over there. And here I am trying to live this Christian life. And I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this up. That's enduring without hope. But endurance with hope says, better than any person that God can send my way, I got him. I want somebody, but I'm content with what I got. I want a better job. 
and I'm serving God and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sowing and I'm, and I'm giving and I'm, and I'm generous, but my life is not changing. I just want to say, forget all this and look out for myself. First thing I want to let you know is if you're doing something to get something from, from God, your motivation is wrong already at the outset. We don't do something to get something from God. We do because we've been giving by God already. We're serving as a response to how he has already served us. But what I'm telling you is you, you got to enjoy the process and look and know that there is a future and a hope where Jesus is coming back to make everything that has been wrong right. So we don't endure just enduring, but we're enduring with a patient hope, knowing that God is in touch with what we're going through. And so in the midst of suffering, they've kept their faith intact. They're like, I don't care what happens. We're not leaving Jesus. We're going to keep serving. We're going to keep loving people. We're going to keep doing whatever we need to do because we're committed to our faith. And if you're weak right now, I want to read a scripture to you. First Peter chapter four, verses verse 11. It says this. If anyone speaks. Let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, here's a key text. First Peter 4 and 11. Let it be from the strength that God provides. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when God calls us in relationship with him and to serve him, he does not expect us to do it in our own strength. God is so good that he equips us with what we need to sustain and thrive. We forget that. And so we get tired. We get burned down. We get frustrated. I get it. I know what feeling. I've been there. But we have to remember we're not called to do this in our own strength. We're called to do it in his strength. And so we got to break away from our own willpower and stay tethered to the spirit of God. Lord, I am praying. Give me energy. Lord, I'm reading your word. Let me be inspired by the saints that came before me and they served you in the face of death, in the face of persecution. God, I don't even live in that kind of context, but they had strength to keep going. God, give me the strength in my particular context to continue serving you with my whole heart. If you are asking for his strength, he'll give it to you freely. He'll give it to you freely. But here's a problem. Verse four. Everything's going good. Everything's going great. Y'all ever heard of the sandwich method? Where if you're trying to coach somebody, you start out with some good. And then you put the bad in the middle and then you close the sandwich with something else good. They stole that from 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 Jesus. <laughs> this is what he does right here. Look at verse four. You've worked hard. You've toiled. You've endured, you've labored, and that's good. But I got this one thing against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. They were excelling at doing, 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 doing ministry. But failing miserably at their motivation for why they were doing ministry. They had a veneer of busyness and outward activity and love for God, but they forgot the right inward motivation. They had gotten to the point where they just started going through the motions and serving with no joy. And so if you find yourself in that place today 
in your walk with God, you're just going through the motions. Nothing is happening. You just going through a woeful existence with God. And it's just a status quo. And I'm just a Christian to be a Christian. I'm just moseying along until Christ returns or to some event that I'm expecting to happen, changes in my life. And then I'll get back with the program. But right now I'm just walking through the motions. There's no joy in my relationship with God. Now, mind you, they are suffering. They have their own personal challenges and, and they're struggling because let me, let me give you guys a look behind the curtain of ministry. If you serve in ministry for longer than a month, it is a struggle to get engaged with people. If you want to grow in patience, if you want to grow in self-control, if you want to grow in endurance, right out the church, just say, I want to sign up to serve. And I guarantee you, God will grow you like you've never been grown in your life before. Maybe you're not growing because you're not serving. That's how God grows us in maturity. When you got to forgive when you don't feel like it. When people who are not necessarily your cup of tea, you got to stand side by side with them. You on time? They're not. This ain't your job, so you can't tell the manager and get them fired. You do all the work. They do a little bit of the work. You like excellence. They like ordinary. And you want to fight. But you ain't in the streets. You're at church. You don't know what self-control is until you got to bear up with it and love and be patient and still be kind and overlook offenses and forgive and pick up slack and deal with your own stuff at home. And so I get it if you develop a hard, critical, complaining spirit. It will be the natural progression of people who serve in ministry and then ministry becomes mechanical. And this is what happened to them. They became all hands and head, but no heart. All hands, head, no heart. The work, the labor, the toil, as important and honorable as it is, means absolutely nothing apart from genuine love. They fail to love in the way that they should. And this is a serious failure. It is one thing for your friend or for your boss or even for your pastor to say, I have this against you. But when Jesus says, I have this against you, this is Debo and Friday gets the guy that had the bike. Right? There's no competition. And he says, I have this against you. You abandon your first love. And you may say, well, I, I, I love God. I struggle to love people. Let me give you the greatest thing you've ever heard. 
your lack of love for people, it's just an outflow of your lack of love for God. You can't have one without the other. I have amazing relationship with God. I just don't do people. And Jesus is walking in the midst of the church, yelling out, Cap. Stop capping. Stop capping in the name of Christ. Cappuccino, Cappadocious, but it's cap. Because the scriptures prove that it is virtually impossible to say you love God and not love his people. And here's what Paul says. You can be the most gifted person that ever walked into a church. First Corinthians 13 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but if I don't have love, I got nothing. It means nothing. It is, it is equivalent to shooting and making 10 threes and pregame warm-ups. It don't go on the scoreboard. And if you've been serving out of a heart that doesn't love the people that you serve, you ain't got no points on the scoreboard. Sorry for my southern vernacular. You don't have any points on the scoreboard. It counts for nothing. And so the gospel must be our motivation. Here's what it says in verses 5 and 6, and I'm almost done. Here's what he says. Remember then how far you've fallen. Because to serve people and not love them is a state of fallenness. Here's what he says. Remember, then what I want you to do is repent and do the work you did at first. I don't think he means physical work. I think he means the spiritual work. I'll come to you. If, and otherwise, if you don't do this, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I don't think you get this. He says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You will no longer be a church. You will just be meeting for practice. What? How, that should land on us that we can be doing all of this and God have nothing to do with it because we don't do it from the right motivation. Can you imagine that all your serving, all your preaching and your evangelism and your outreach events and all the things you've been doing and you're coming here early and setting up and staying late and tearing down and serving people uh, on first Sunday, serving food and waiting in lines and making runs for the church throughout the week. And you did all of that. And Jesus is like, I don't know what you're doing that for. Y'all not even a church. You could have went to brunch with your friends. They no longer have to text you. You done yet? You on your way? Because if it doesn't come from a heart that loves God and then loves people, it means absolutely nothing. And to that he says, remember, repent. Do the works that you did at first. Remember what it was like when you fell in love with Christ first. Here's the thing. If you truly got saved and you love Jesus, like if you, if you got saved for real, there was a 
honeymoon phase to this day. You couldn't wait to show up to church. You wanted to read your Bible, things that you didn't care about before. You wanted to know the meaning of it. You start taking notes in church. You used to go to sleep in church. Some still do. You wanted to pray. You presented everything to God. You were quick to repent of your sins. You were, you were now like made alive. You, you saw things from a different vantage point. You look back at your past and say, what in the world was I doing? How was I living? What was I thinking? I was doing that with them. I was with him. What was I doing? Because you fell in love. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I cannot get enough of this thing. You threw out, I almost said you threw out all your old CDs. That's me. I'm dating myself. You, you, you stopped listening to the music that you used to listen to on your streaming device. And if you say, I never had, I didn't never do that. I never really gave up anything. You may have never got saved. If you fall in love and get the butterflies for a person, what do you think happens when you fall in love with Jesus? How do we get there? How do we get to this cold place? We forget the good news of the gospel. We forget that we've been forgiven. We forget that we are now free in Christ. We forget now because of Christ we have access to God. We forget now that our destination is determined by God, that we will spend eternity with him one day. We, we, we forget that and things become a task because we start doing ministry and stop having a relationship with God. And so today, I don't know what happened for you to abandon your first love, but maybe you, a sin is pulling you away. Maybe maybe. Maybe you just got busy with life. Maybe things didn't work out the way that you thought and you got disappointed with God. Maybe you've just been serving so long that you're physically tired and can't take it anymore. Whatever the case is, God is telling us to remember what it was first like to fall in love with him and go back to that place. Turn away from the things that have dulled your appetite for God. Whatever that is, if it's a person, if it's a thing, turn away from that. Return to what you did at first. Start reading your Bible again. Start praying again. Faithfully start attending church again. Remember this. He doesn't say, feel how you first felt again. He says, do the things that you did at first. Because sometimes you can't wait for a feeling. You just got to do something. Do the works you did at first. This is how much the great commandment matters to God. I'll read a couple of scriptures to you and we'll be done. Matthew 22, 30, 60, 38. Teach you what command in the law is the greatest. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. 1 John 4 and 10, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has not seen, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and his sister. Revelation 1 and 5, the beginning of the book. 
to him who loves us and set us free from our sins by, by his blood and made us a kingdom. So here's what I want you to do. Let the love of God be the fuel and motivation for your love for people. If you're waiting for people to start acting right, you're going to be waiting for the rest of your life. You go back to the fountain, to the source, to the well that never runs dry. You go to the source of love, and his name is Jesus. How do I know that he loves me? Because he sent his, he, he voluntarily laid down his life for me. There's never been a greater demonstration of love than what Christ did for us. And our love is a response to his love. So when you see the person that you're tired of dealing with and tired of bearing with and tired of being patient with and struggling to love them, know that you yourself was not easy to love, but he loved you anyway. Yet, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is a wake-up call for us to be faithful to him. And to the one person, the people here who are struggling, who just struggling with life in general, there's a lot going on in your life, I feel you. I want to give you this precious promise that one day that Jesus will work in reverse and undo everything that's been done incorrectly. He will reverse the fall. He'll redeem all that has been lost. We will spend eternity with him. Things will be the way that they were meant to be. Last scripture I'll read and I'm done for real. Here's what John says, Revelation 21. Here's part of the vision. And this will be our reality. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And I love verse four. It's my favorite. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't know the last time you cried, but every tear that you shed, Jesus is going to work in reverse from the moment you was born and wipe every single solitary tear from your face. Death will be no more. Imagine a world where there will be no more funerals. No more tragic endings. Cancer, gone. Heart attacks, gone. Sickness, gone. A world with no hospitals. I love Advent Health. Shout out to them. And if you work for them, shout out to you. But they will be obsolete. Because there will be no more sickness and no more disease. That's a beautiful reality. The next time you drive by a hospital, I want you to say your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. You have an expiration date. You, will be not, you won't be necessary at some point in history. It will be over. Shout out.
to all the nurses and all the doctors and all the surgeons and all the anesthesiologists and all of those things. God bless you. I appreciate what you did in my absence, but I'm coming and I'm the healer and I'm about to make all things new. I want you to remember that the next time you walk by a hospital, it will be no more and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. I don't care if you struggle with migraine headaches, if you got digestive issues, if you have heart issues, you got back issues, you got finger, finger issues, you got brain issues, you got toe issues. Whatever your issues are, there'll be no more pain. This is why you can endure with hope. But unless we first tether ourselves to God, we won't be able to live in that reality. And so my word to you today is, if you haven't been feeling God and you haven't been feeling the church, don't wait on the feeling. Run back to the throne of grace and receive his love. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.